greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on today's special episode of the podcast, because it conveniently works out this way, we are doing a Star Wars themed episode. We're going to be talking about the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, the sequel trilogy, all a bunch of random stuff as we go on. Um, this is a pretty much going to be a freeform conversation between myself, Patrick, and my special guest host, Leslie. We were supposed to be joined by Pat, but he decided to go on a family trip uh, down to their lake house this weekend. So they don't really have internet down there, and it would have been very difficult uh, to record in a reasonable amount of time waiting for him to get back. Um, so, Leslie, I just wanted to welcome you back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. Well, I know we talk Star Wars so often that... Uh, <laughs> It would be a shame not to have you on here for it. And it'll be a little bit different for our audience because they've mainly heard us talk about Star Trek together. So um, I saw, I think, a funny meme the other day that was saying, like, people trying to convince uh, Star Wars fans that Star Trek was better and, and vice versa. And it was a really weird meme, but I'm like, yeah, why can't we just meet in the middle and both like each franchise, you know? Right. Um, but... Without kind of much fanfare, we're just going to go ahead and dive into it. So um, how were you introduced to the Star Wars universe? Um, well, I don't remember how old I was, but I do remember watching The Empire Strikes Back at my aunt's house with a couple of my younger cousins. But that was like my first introduction. I really have a clear memory of that scene with Yoda uh, and Luke training. But before I was really, like, pulled into the fandom, that didn't really didn't happen for me until The Phantom Menace came out. Okay, that's, that's, that's really interesting, especially considering, like, what part of the generation you and I belong to, because uh, I think you and I both, we're, we're about a year apart in age, and um, we uh, both went to it, and I think we both really enjoyed Phantom Menace because we've had this conversation before several times. We enjoyed Than <laughs> Phantom Menace because we were at a younger age. Um, yeah, that was seventh grade for me, like sixth, seventh grade. Right. And that um, with especially with like Jar Jar, because Jar Jar is very much a kid friendly character, uh, <laughs> although I didn't I never remembered liking Jar Jar when I saw him in theaters. Um, I certainly don't really care for the character a whole lot now as an adult. Uh, but I know my my neighbors, uh, they were born, Nate might have been born right around the time that Phantom Menace came out. 
but of course he didn't see it till years later and his younger brother uh was definitely not born till after 2000 so they grew up on the prequel trilogy and of course this so they have a different uh, appreciation for it versus us um like you said you were at a young age kind of getting watching empire strikes back and we were talking before recording I don't have any like type of actual story to explain how I got drawn into the Star Wars fandom. As far as like I can go back and remember, we always had like the VHS tapes and we watched them and we watched them and we watched them and we watched them until we wore them out. I remember going and seeing Phantom Menace and I I loved it at the time. And I to this day, I still I have kind of a love hate relationship with it. There are certain parts about Phantom Menace that I'm not a huge fan of, but overall, like it, it's not a bad entry into the Star Wars universe. It introduces some good ideas and some concepts. It also introduces some bad ideas. But um, I remember getting Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace on VHS and watching it so many times. I I actually messed up the tape. Yes, this <laughs> is VHS days for any listeners that are. <laughs> in their early 20s who don't know what a VHS is. Um, I even had to uh, rewind the, like, actual, take the tape out and fix the film in in it to get it back to normal. I had watched it that many times. So that's that's kind of my introduction into the Star Wars universe. Like, I, I, from that early age, uh, I was reading the books i was playing the n64 games the pc games uh you know everything that i could consume i even used to have a and i wish i still had it i had a tie interceptor uh toy that i i played with all the time as a little kid and i have no idea where it is now but i miss it dearly so well see that's interesting is like you said you know you don't have a memory of being introduced to it and for me it's kind of flip-flopped because that's how it was for me with Star Trek. I don't remember being sat down and told, you know, here, you're watching Star Trek now or anything. I was just always into it where I have a distinct memory of like really becoming part of the fandom for Star Wars. And, and you know, you're, you're actually spot on on the, the flip-flop there because I can specifically remember not necessarily having anyone introduce me to Star Trek, but uh, that I would occasionally, if I was staying overnight at my grandmother's, Uh, like on a school night or on a weekend and um, I couldn't sleep. I'd turn on the TV and I would watch kind of the reruns uh, that were on at night. Um, Mainly at that time, it would have been DS9. Uh, And then I would watch kind of Voyager a little bit on the regular basis, but it wouldn't be until years later that I would actually... uh, And I had exposure to the movies and stuff like that, the the Shatner movies, um, and not so much the, the the next generation films, but I I then much later in life kind of went back and experienced the original series. And occasionally was exposed to like reruns of Next Generation. And then I remember also being my early teens and they were releasing a DVD box set of Next Generation. It was like three hundred dollars at the time and begging for it for at least for a uh, a birthday gift. And my dad going, no, no, that's never happening. It's never happening. And then, of course, years later, as a grown adult, they release it on Blu-ray for like 90 bucks. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) the better option won out in the end. Um, But, yeah, it's very much a flip-flop situation. But, I, yeah, it it was always very prevalent in my life, Star Wars. uh, I never – 
I don't have that initial memory of being introduced to it. Um, I would just always watch the trilogy. Uh, now, what was interesting is I don't think I watched uh, A New Hope as much as I watched either Empire or Return of the Jedi. I, and Return of the Jedi was the one I kind of watched the most because I always liked the um, the Jabba the Hutt scenes and I liked the Battle of Endor. So um, with with that kind of out of the way... We're going to go ahead and talk about um, the, the not the Rise of Skywalker, but the Skywalker saga. Now, I have the actual, I ended up shelling out the money for the big uh, collector set uh, Skywalker saga 4K. It is really cool. It kind of comes in a slipcover box where the box is actually got the Death Star on it. Um, the... Now, I don't like how the discs are inserted into the book because I, I never like this when um, sets do this because I feel like uh, you can damage the disc really easy, but they're in slip covers like of the page of each book. But it does have really cool artwork. Um, it's got a lot of the Ralph McQuarrie art uh, for the original uh, trilogy. And then uh, I don't know. I actually have it here right next to me. Um, I don't know if it does that for the uh, prequel trilogy. Uh, no, it's different art for, for the prequel trilogy. And then the sequel trilogy, it has a different artist. But it's got really cool art. Um, I'm very impressed with it. I've had some issues on the 4K discs themselves, but uh, it came with the 4K digital copies as well. And I have to say, as I've been rewatching them kind of in preparation for uh, today, for May 4th, uh, I've been kind of just going through them all. And I've I've in the middle of a rewatch of Rise of Skywalker. And I think I have a different evaluation of, a, of one of the sequel trilogy movies than I, I had originally. But uh, with that said, let's let's go ahead and talk about um, what is your kind of order of the trilogies? Like, which is your favorite um, uh, like ranking? And then uh, out of each trilogy, what is your favorite film and why? Okay. Um, if I have to rank the trilogies because the prequels are what brought me into the fandom, I have to put them first. Okay. I'm not, you know, ranking them based on like a film critique perspective or anything, but like those are the films that really brought me into the fandom. That was like I had said before, that was like sixth, seventh grade for me. And that was being part of being aware and being part of the culture when Star Wars was becoming popular within the culture again, you know, so like my friends and their friends and that expanded circle of their friends and everybody's going to see the Phantom Menace and we're all talking about it at school. So I always put them first and then the originals and then the sequels. Okay. Um, out of the prequels, I, I might be unpopular opinion here, but I really like Phantom Menace mostly because I love Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor together. And because I remember a 12 year old girl that desperately wanted Queen Amidala's um, wardrobe and to walk down the hallways of her school dressed like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can totally understand that. And, um, you know, I had a, a friend in college who, who brought up a really interesting point because I think a lot of people don't like this portion of, of, of The Phantom Menace. It was really interesting, and it was his favorite bit of it, was uh, just seeing kind of how the uh, politics of a, a galactic republic 
of planets worked. And we got to see kind of the inner workings of it and how they have a, a, a Senate and how each Senate represents each planet that's a part of the Republic and how they deal with uh, kind of disputes or, or um, issues. And, and, I, and I, I really do kind of have a, a bigger appreciation for that. And I never disliked the um, Coruscant scenes a whole lot. Um, I actually was always fascinated because we never knew, at least from like my age at, at that time, uh, the, the perspective of there being kind of this galactic center to uh, the universe and, and Coruscant being that planet. We knew about the emperor and everything, but we never knew where he ruled from. We never saw Coruscant, uh, except for, of course, when the special editions came out for the original trilogy, um, that... We, you know, it was kind of a new aspect of the Star Wars universe that that uh, we got to see. And I agree also, uh, Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor. Now, I have a kind of an unpopular opinion that has changed uh, in the years since I, I've kind of been rewatching them almost every year. Uh, I remember be in the theaters not liking Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. And, okay. and, and thinking like I, I didn't. I mean, I, I, he's a great actor. He was an accomplished actor before even doing that role. Um, but I, I always felt like he wasn't doing doing it justice. I, I didn't feel like his acting was really up to par. And, of course, then when it got to Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, like, I was fully enamored by his performance at that point. And now, as I kind of uh, rewatch them, it, it, his, his performance is slowly growing on me. Uh, I'm appreciating him more now in Phantom Menace than I, I used to. And it, maybe it's because it's kind of been more colored by knowing how much more I enjoy him in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith that I was like, OK, and now I'm die hard. Like they talk about the Obi-Wan Disney Plus series. I'm like, yes, it's got to be Ewan. <laughs> we got it. No one else can play Obi-Wan, although for voice acting, uh, James Arnold Taylor does a fantastic uh, awesome job. Uh, Ewan McGregor uh, impression. But all right, go go ahead and continue. Oh, where was I going from that? Because uh, so I said you, prequels. You, yeah, you were on the prequels. Your prequels are your number one, and your favorite out of that trilogy is uh, Phantom Menace. Yeah, so for the originals, those go after. I don't, I don't know if I really have thought about which one I think is my favorite of the originals, because I, I like all of them. You know, when I'm sitting here trying to think, hmm, which one do you like better? So you're not going but, with the obvious choice for most people, which is Empire. I know. I was thinking about saying Empire, but then, you know, like you, I really do like um, Return of the Jedi as well. I like, you know, Endor. I really like the end when everybody's having a party with the teddy bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So I don't know. I think I'll go with Return of the Jedi. And then out of the sequels... I have to say episode seven, Force Awakens, because if I if you're gonna make me pick one that I think is better than the others, it's definitely gonna be episode seven. Okay, well this will be interesting when we get into kind of my uh, my rate, rating and rankings uh, of the films because we we at least have one that matches, so there won't be much dispute on that. But then I am different on the other two. So, um, uh, and explain kind of why you you. Th- are picking kind of Force Awakens over the other two. Well, I mean, I know why that's over Last <laughs> Jedi, but... Well, I feel like for what we were given, Episode Seven is a very decent opener for a new trilogy. I still am of the personal opinion that 
Disney kind of just did a business decision and a cop out because they were thinking about the age of the actors. And I think there's the same issue um, a lot of people have with the prequels it would be the same issue they would have with the sequels is that no matter what sort of story Lucas was going to tell about Vader, people have built him up to such a mythos in their mind. It wouldn't matter what he did. No one was ever going to be pleased. And I think that was the same issue with Luke when Disney was getting ready to do a sequel, that they're like, how can we ever possibly do a story that's going to do Luke any justice at all? Let's just take the easy way out and skip right to them passing the torch. So for what we were given, I really do think that episode seven in and of itself is a decent opener. And yeah, it might almost be a clone of episode four, but that's not a terrible thing. And, and I don't disagree with that. I, I, I think, and I agree uh, completely, like there was no way that the sequel trilogy was ever going to appease everybody. And, no. and this is a, a discussion I kind of want to get into a little bit later because we've, uh, Pat and I have talked about this uh, when Rise of Skywalker came out about kind of this divide amongst the, the fandom right now. Uh, but we'll get to that in a, uh, in a little while. Um, but I, I agree. Uh, you and I were kind of having a, a, a discussion the other day about this that, uh, and uh, that I had they at least settled on one writer for all three films or taken uh, what Lucas had kind of as rough drafts. I know he kind of wanted to explore this uh, cult that was dedicated to Vader, which I think kind of um, was explored a little bit in Rise of Skywalker to some extent. It wasn't the exact same thing, but I think it had kind of uh, a a little bit of an influence on it. But had they at least um, had J.J. Abrams you know, write all three movies instead of him writing the first one and planting seeds and going, okay, whoever's working on this next can take it wherever they want, but here's some guideposts. Uh, I think that lack of direction or lack of foresight, um, really shows through. Exactly. It's kind of, it's kind of like, uh, it reminds me a little bit of had they had the kind of mentality of the emperor in return of the Jedi, where he's, he's sitting there in his throne and telling Luke, like everything that's happened has, has been as I foresaw it. So it's like everything that happened was his plan. And he, he played all the pieces so that it, it came out to the most desired result he wanted. If you had had kind of that foresight of the emperor and, and setting up this sequel trilogy, it might have been executed a little bit better. I also think how uh, the acquisition from Disney and Lucasfilms and Kathleen Kennedy uh, and how they just kind of brushed Lucas to the side and they wanted to go in whatever direction they wanted to. It, it just, it, it, it kind of created a, 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 an easier time for things to go wrong. And I think we saw the wheels come off a little bit. Um, I, I'm hoping we're kind of getting back to a a good place with Star Wars. I I think we're getting really good content um, in television and video games and books that maybe and and with maybe a change in leadership uh, at Lucasfilm, we can kind of get back to to what we expect, at least for good Star Wars. Not that. Even even Star Wars at its worst is still enjoyable. It's it's much like the the Marvel movies. Um, I I would say like even because you and I both are not necessarily a fan of the Captain Marvel film. um, Captain Marvel as a movie is still a good movie, but as of a Marvel movie, it's a okay Marvel movie. 
Yeah, and, yeah. And I think there's a lot of of that in the sequel trilogy where you don't necessarily get that that great Star Wars film, but you get at least good films uh, to an extent, regardless on what your personal thoughts of where they took the story or how they brought characters back or anything like that. Uh, I think that that's kind of where where it lies up to. So any any other uh, thoughts or, or, or things you want to say about your rankings or, or anything like that? Um, no, do you want to pick, like, best standalones? <laughs> Which uh, one you yeah. like better? <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that that's going to be kind of easy for both of us. Because, uh, what well, we only have the, the two standalone... Are we talking about standalone right. films or series? No, just the standalone film. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, that has to go to Rogue One. Absolutely. And no matter how many times I've seen it, those couple minutes when Vader's going through, you know, the um, the hallway at the end is so tense. I'm like, he might catch them this time. <laughs> oh, I know. It is it is extreme. And I ended up, uh, since I'd gotten everything else on 4K, um, they had, I'd already had Solo on 4K and, um, and with getting that kind of box that I had all the other movies, the only one I hadn't had in 4K was Rogue One. And... Um, they ended up, I guess, doing a release for it as well. So I ended up ordering that and watching that as I was going through um, my my rewatch for kind of May 4th. Uh, and it looks great in 4K as well. Uh, but that scene is so good. And yet I've, I've seen some people complain about it. I've seen some people think it was not necessary, um, that it, it I, not that it damages Vader's character, but that it takes away, I, I don't know. I, they, they, their arguments aren't good enough to me to really prove any valid points. I've seen some people not really thrilled about um, the Carrie Fisher kind of CGI face at the end, that they, it looks a little too weird for them. But I've watched that scene so many times, and I'm like, it looks fine. Like, I I don't know why people, maybe because we're, we've been reintroduced to Leia at an older age, that they can't reconcile uh, at least at the time of release, not so much as when you go and through and watch the you know the trilogy through, that they can't wrap their minds around that that being a CGI face or something like that. Um, but I, yeah, I think hands down, Rogue One is is best of the standalones. Although Solo, again, like each rewatch, it kind of grows on me a little bit more. There are still problems with that movie um, where you can tell. Uh, the rewrites you I mean and I'm not really one to pick up rewrites and reshoots but you can tell that with the the kind of problems that they were having behind the scenes while making that movie that uh, when Ron Howard came in that they made so many different changes and and the first I'd say 30 minutes of the movie were probably like three different movies that they kind of had planned out and that they're like, okay, we're going to take a chunk from this one. We're going to take a chunk from this one. And we're going to take a, take a chunk from this one. And then we'll tell our cohesive story. And I think that that's where that movie really hurts, where it doesn't really have a well-defined villain. It, um, it has an okay actor doing, doing a young Han Solo. He's not perfect. It has a great casting of Donald Glover as Lando. Um, and then it interjects some weird things with L3, Although I do like the concept of L3 being the ship's computer that when uh, C-3PO is talking to it uh, while they're trapped on the asteroid, he goes, oh, this has a foul language or foul mouth. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah that, that does line up pretty well. Um, 
and, and and it introduces, of course, Darth Maul back into it. So people who aren't familiar with Clone Wars or Rebels are kind of getting a gut punch and going, oh, my God, he's still around. Um, so it, it's got good potential to it. Would I like to see a sequel? I actually would. I think that there is if they don't do a sequel movie, maybe a a show on Disney Plus for like a season, two seasons to explain, uh, explore Akira a little bit more and Crimson Dawn because they set up something there that I feel like if you don't explore, it's a missed opportunity. Um, but that's enough about me talking about it. Why don't you go ahead and talk about Rogue One a little bit more or, or Solo if you want. Oh, I don't know. I, I would probably just agree with most of what you said about Solo. I, it does feel like distinct stories. I don't even necessarily think... It's missing a villain. It's just missing, um, you know, uh, something for them to solve. You know, what is it that this character wants? And then you put a problem for them to solve to get to the other side. And it really doesn't even have a clear one of those. They're just kind of flowing from this to then to this chunk to then that train heist thing. And it's not not really cohesive. Well, it was Um, perfect to make it a heist movie like that makes 100 percent sense. But, yeah. it, you know, it was just like the stuff on Corellia, then go go to, uh, like you said, the kind of the Empire thing, which had they kept in a deleted scene, I think that that would have flowed a little bit better where they actually had him as a pilot. He does a reckless remo- uh, maneuver and then he gets kind of stripped back down to, a, a you know, basically a foot soldier. Mud soldier. Yeah. And, and I'm like, why do you cut that? That works perfectly. It establishes his cockiness, but him also being right. Um, why do you cut that scene? Like, you, you can't tell me that it was a, a big scene, that it was costing too much money, that it didn't flow. It, it works so much better than him, you know, going, oh, yeah, I want to be a, a, you know, a pilot. Oh, we'll get you in the skies anytime soon. And then he's a foot soldier and saying it's three years later. It's like, ah, eh. But they did get the meeting between him and Chewie, right? Which is also something like, had they done that wrong, there would be no way to salvage that film. Yeah, that yeah. If that scene had fallen apart, there would have just there would have been nothing there, pretty much. Um, But, um, yeah, like, Rogue One, I think, is so good. I love those last few minutes. And I'm not even disappointed about the fact that pretty much everybody you fall in love with is dead at the end. Just because I I like having that kind of... um, It's not like an end cap, but it's, you know, when you watch Rogue One and then you go straight into Episode 4, and to me, it just makes the beginning of Episode 4, like, so much more just Just, like, funny, you know, and ironic, He's like, I followed you from there. And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, not only that, like, because uh, it was really funny. I, I remember going to the theater and, and seeing it and seeing how it ended and coming home, immediately popping in A New Hope and then reading the crawl and talking about how they just won their first battle against the Empire and that they were able to steal these plans. I'm going, this is perfect. And again, it's a it's another uh, situation where... Uh, had they screwed it up, had this, you know, completely bungled how it led into episode four, it, it could have ruined the entire film. You could have had a great movie throughout the rest of the film, but if that ending, how they kind of tied it in to have where the start of A New Hope is, it would have kind of made it more difficult. But I think uh, I think Gareth Edwards was the director on that, and he, uh, he did a really good job... Uh, 
fitting things together in pieces and, and having kind of the archive footage to do the cameos of like Gold Leader and stuff like that, uh, seeing the fate of the original Red Five, uh, and having again like what something that sells me on Star Trek and and uh, Star Wars or any type of sci-fi show is I love space battles. I love ships and I really love like. And this was a missed, kind of a little bit of a missed opportunity in the at least first two of the sequel trilogy, um, the space battles. Like, there's not really a good space battle in in Force Awakens. There's a little bit of one, but it's not great. And you don't really have one in Last Jedi, but you get a a grand one in Rise of Skywalker. Um, but yeah, the just the kind of the nice little cameos, the callbacks. Uh, how they set that up, I think it works perfectly, and it shows someone who has a genuine care and love for, I think, Star Wars. Also seeing the ghost from Rebels in, in combat uh, on there is also nice, because it's a, it's doing the one thing that the Marvel movies never did, and that's acknowledging the television shows. If things are supposed yeah, to be funny. canon, then you're going to acknowledge them, and that's what this did. Go ahead. Right, sorry. No, didn't Rogue One wasn't Rogue One make the first reference to Clone Wars by having Saul Guerrera? Uh yes. Actually I, yeah, I, I, I do believe so. Uh so much so that after Rogue One came out while Rebels was running, they had Forrest Whitaker come and do the voice for Saw for his appearances in those episodes. And not only that, uh in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order um, you go to Kashyyyk and uh, you come across Saw and his uh, kind of band of, of rebels and it's modeled after Forrest Whitaker and he comes back and he voices the, the character as well. So that's a level of care that I feel like the Marvel movies need to start if they're going to really branch out and do these Disney Plus shows and everything like that. They really need to do. And I think Kevin Feige kind of has that in plan. Uh, he couldn't do it before for some reason, because he maybe because he didn't like Jeff Loeb a whole lot. I don't know. Um, but the fact that we had all these important crossover events in, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or uh, stuff that's references, referenced in the Netflix Marvel shows that never got brought up really in the movies a whole lot it is a problem. And I think that that's one thing that at least Star Wars has done well at doing especially with a new revised canon i i wasn't thrilled that they um threw out the old eu and i was especially angry when kathleen kennedy said that there was no material pre-existing material there were no books there were no video games there was nothing and that's why they had such a hard time with the sequel trilogy and i'm like all right I, yeah, I, I can get along with a few things you say, but you say that there was nothing. No way. I'm, I'm sorry. But um, right. That was just total. That was just something. I mean, her. Um, what was I going to say? Like her public relations person, like didn't vet that before it came out of her mouth. A, exactly. And I mean, I get it. Like, I can understand why you would throw out all of that uh, EU, because how do you with a lot of the stuff that they did with the Yuuzhan Vong and uh, and kind of a new Fall of the Jedi and stuff like that, and and Jason Solo becoming basically Kylo Ren and, and uh, uh, Ben Skywalker getting killed. How how do you you know do a movie that's going to acknowledge all of these books that have kind of taken place? Like I, I do like the idea of their kind of legends um, canon where it's an alternate timeline, although. That's one thing for me that I never really want Star Wars 
to really delve into a whole lot. I do not want time travel in Star Wars. It just, it doesn't fit. Um, I don't mind exploring different eras, but I never want a character like going back and preventing uh, Anakin from from turning to the dark side, and then we have this whole new alternate timeline. It's never felt Star Wars for me, but right, because this isn't Doctor Who. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because um, the like only when, time travel thing I feel like they kind of get away with, and it's time travel. I'm doing the bunny ears and quotes. Yeah, is is Rebels and Ahsoka, but she's technically not time traveling. She's stepping outside of the known universe into the world between the worlds. Yeah, you and, know and I was But fan. she even, she goes back to her original timeline. So she doesn't even go to a different time. She steps back into her own. So yeah, it, take that was, what you will. That was one episode of Rebels uh, that I, I was not overly thrilled with. But again, like, it, it kind of works and it doesn't work for me, but I, I can accept it at least. But like that's that's to the extent of like time travel that I ever want them to go with. So right, uh, because I think if she had done one of those where like she traveled and then went on to the future and did the split timelines or whatever, that would have been too much. Right. I think it was just the fact that they were there. They each went back to where they came from at that exact point that they had come from. You know, and that kind of just keeps everything on the same same track. And, and also at that point, like when you when you start doing that, then you start becoming hard to distinguish from like Star Trek, where kind of time travel, alternate timelines are are kind of a staple for for that show and alternate universes and stuff like that. Um, and you know, like like we talked about in our Picard reviews, like when they changed warp to kind of look like the the kind of tunnel for light speed, we didn't like that uh, of Picard because. We want that to still be a distinctly a Star Wars thing versus uh, it being kind of a shared universe thing. Um, right. So we're going to go ahead and now get into my rankings of it. And uh, and we'll uh, feel free to interrupt and, and interject questions at me as I, as I talk about it. Um, so I think I, I rank the trilogies as the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, and then the sequel trilogy. Uh, mainly kind of like how you said that the prequels were kind of what really got you into the fandom of Star Wars and into the Star uh-huh. Wars universe. The The original trilogy is always kind of being um, ever present and never knowing a moment where I never was not watching Star Wars. The original trilogies were that for me. Um, I remember always kind of wanting to be like a Jedi and stuff like that. Um, so I think that that's why I, I have to rank it the, the best out of it. And I also have to rank it that way because uh, it was a, this was a discussion Pat and I were having. And I think uh, he was trying to say that the Mandalorian is the best thing to come out of Star Wars. Like it's the, it's the best Star Wars. And I'm like, no, it's, it's good Star Wars. I, I love it. But like you don't get Mandalorian without the original trilogy. Yeah, no, you definitely don't. So I I, I, uh, I can't completely agree with him. And that's as much as I love Clone Wars. Like, you don't get Clone Wars without without uh, the original trilogy. You don't get any other type of Star Wars. So um, I think that's why I rank it the best. And this is where we're going to agree on rankings. Return of the Jedi is my favorite. I know it's the one I, I watched the most as a kid. Uh, I still love it and a lot of it has to deal with uh not so much the the battle on indoor but the battle above indoor uh, i really love the space battle 
Uh, I like seeing the B wings, the Y wings, the, the A wings, the X wings. Like I loved all the different ship types, uh, and and I just I love the space battles, and I, I like them kind of going head to head with the Tie Fighters and and the Star Destroyers, and still having to worry about the Death Star. Um, one thing that has added a, a great appreciate, uh, even more a, a appreciation for it is. And I've been trying to do this for the longest time, ever since they announced that Rex was at uh, the Battle of Endor, was trying to find, because I know I've seen a picture of, of the cast um, that's on oh, Endor. But you hadn't seen him? No, I'd never been able to pick him out before. But I had seen the picture of them all together, like all the actors that were uh, like on Endor, um, kind of all standing in front of the bunker. And I've seen the actor with the white beard. Um, mm -hmm. but I was never able to kind of pick him out. Like I, I, I've been looking for a while and I've never been able to quite find him. And I finally, in my rewatch here, I finally found him and I even found it even more appreciating because I've never noticed this before. Maybe cause I'm, I was so detailed at looking at the background this time, but he's also one of the, the guy, at least the, the actor, the, I mean, it's not really Rex, but we're, we're making it Rex. Um, the actor with the white beard when they come out and they, everybody's kind of all got their hands up and there's a whole garrison of stormtroopers, they had him disguised as a stormtrooper. And uh, so I was very happy to finally catch that moment because I've been looking so hard for him. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's just something I think about Return of the Jedi, uh, just the kind of bringing everything to a close, uh, you know, Luke confronting the Emperor, Vader's redemption, um, just a lot of stuff I really like about it. And there's some stuff I don't like about it. Like, I don't easily like how easily uh, Boba Fett gets taken out, obviously. But um, I'm really hoping Mandalorian will eventually kind of fix that. Because I, I loved in the old EU him uh, surviving the Sarlacc. And a lot of people... And this is an argument like I, I never get into it with anybody about, but I really could. A lot of people are like, no, nah, he's just dead. He's just dead. He got eaten by the Sarlacc. And I'm like, yeah, but you do realize like they even say you get digested alive for like a thousand years in, in the Sarlacc. So you don't just die immediately going into the Sarlacc. And right. so I, I always like I'm like you people and it's it's people who are like, oh, stop being Boba Fett fanboys. He was no, 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 no. You know, and I get it like, um, you know, Dave Filoni has, has already talked about it. George Lucas has talked about it. He's not a true Mandalorian, which I I don't like a whole lot thinking that way, because I um, I know I read one of the EUs which dealt him becoming kind of the leader of a tribe on Mandalore. And I think it even dealt with him having a daughter, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. But I but I also agree, like especially with what we've seen from the Mandalorian and stuff we've seen from Clone Wars and stuff like, and Rebels, he really wasn't truly a Mandalorian, especially being a clone from Jango Fett. Um, but he's still one of my favorite characters that I feel uh, needs more justice and more screen time. And so I'm kind of hoping Mandalorian season two, maybe season three, we'll, we'll explore that a little bit. So um I, I love Empire, and I know that that's everybody's kind of go-to uh, as their favorite, but there there's something about Empire that, um, I, as much as I love it, that it's like prevents it from being the great Star Wars movie. Maybe it's not having a real space battle. Maybe it's um, 
not really fully understanding Dagobah a whole lot, like getting it, but not fully understanding why. Uh, I know like the whole Luke's face being under Vader's mask is like a warning of this is what you can become, but it's still not being quite clear. Um, so I think that that's kind of what a little bit of what prevents it. I love Bespin and uh, Cloud City. And of course, I love Lando Calrissian. Um, mm-hmm. I love all the scenes that take place on there, but there's just something that holds it back a little bit. Uh, and then a new hope is just, it's a new hope. Uh, it's the introduction to everything, to the characters. There's nothing wrong with it story wise or, or concept wise, but I feel like what the other two movies kind of become is so much more than what, uh, I think star star Wars, a new hope knew it was going to become, um, much like the line in the uh, in the Last Jedi, they um, they become more than what we are, or something. Whatever Yoda says to Luke as the trees uh-huh. on fire, it, it's kind They're of what we grow beyond. Or? Yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah. It, it's kind of like that concept. Like those those two movies built up so much from kind of meager beginnings and and far surpa- far surpass it as a film and as a, a story. Um, so. For the prequel trilogy, my favorite uh, is uh, Return of, or not Return, Re- Revenge of the Sith. And Which is like everybody's favorite of the prequel trilogy. It, it is because I think a lot of people, um, they don't like Phantom Menace because they, they just, they hate Phantom Menace. I think that that was yeah, the it, one. I think that, uh, there's obvious issues with Phantom Menace and I, I concede that. Right. Um, as much as like, I love that Phantom Menace introduces Darth Maul and, and double bladed lightsabers and has really cool, uh, uh, although I don't, again, you and I agree on this, but I don't know why people hate the choreographed, uh, lightsaber fights or duels. Um, yeah, they're great. They, it, it has a great space battle. Um, I think part of the problem is just what they do to set up Anakin and Padme. Uh, you and I both agree, like, He's too young. Like, it makes sense kind of being like this starstruck young boy with a crush of a girl that he sees and he finds beautiful. But it gets a little creepy when you like when you think about like what happens like later. Like, it's not so much if Anakin had been maybe 13 and of course she's like 14 during this time, uh, it would make more sense like they're at least yeah. a little bit but the, you have like a five-year age difference and and that's at that young of an age that's a little creepy it's a little weird so uh and in fact like Tatooine is the is about the only sequence of the film that i'm not really a huge fan of uh, i love the pod racing bit and i love qui-gon and uh, darth maul's little lightsaber duel um but I, I feel like that whole middle sequence kind of slows the pacing of the film down. And, uh, but I love everything else after I love the Coruscant. I love, uh, you know, the final, the final battle and everything. But, mm-hmm. um, even, even that, that's second kind of in my ranking of, of the prequel trilogies. Attack of the clones is the one that, uh, again, like the more I watch it, the more I get okay with it, but it, it's, it's too much of a love story than it than it is of being like an actual Star Wars movie. I, and I get Lucas needed to tell that love story to, you know, show us kind of how Luke and Leia come to being and everything. But it it, um, it just didn't didn't work. And much like I didn't really care for Ewan's performance in, in Phantom Menace when I was younger, 
Uh, I don't quite like Hayden Christensen's performance in Clone Wars or Attack of the Clones. Um, but yet I love him in Revenge of the Sith. So I think that that's where in, in Revenge of the Sith. And I saw this in a, in a review I read recently about the, the 4K um, um, release. It's it's got the the space operatic feel to it. You've got that opening sequence, the, the battle over Coruscant, and you have this great, uh, you know, opening scene. And it's got a definite like arc that it's telling and it, and everything comes to culmination. And especially like when you're getting to those moments with um, Anakin and Mace and, and Palpatine, you're you're like sitting there going, no, no, come on, come on, just don't do it, Anakin. Every time I watch it, every, like yeah. like you said with uh, Rogue One, every time you're like you're watching that scene with Vader, you're like, he's going to get him. He's actually going to get him this time. And you're like, with Revenge of the Sith, you're like, okay, Anakin's not going to fall for it. Anakin's not going to fall for it. And of course, every time, you're you're you know, of course, heartbroken. And, oh, and you know what makes that heartbreak worse is loving the Clone Wars and watching all of that and then getting to episode three. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and um, you uh, and I'll bring that up here in, in a second. Um, where, where was I going with this? Oh, also seeing Order 66 and, and kind of the death of all of our favorite uh, Jedi. Like Plo Koon has always been one of my favorites and his death gets me every time. Same with Kayati Mundi and him kind of leading the charge and then turning around and just getting destroyed by his his uh, uh, garrison. And so even though there are some very weak points like uh, Padme's death, um, there there are more strong points in that film than there are weak points. And, And honestly, the final scene between Anakin and Obi-Wan is still heartbreaking every time. Every time he says, you were my brother, uh, I'm like ready to break down in tears. And again, you get another great lightsaber duel. um, That's just, it's just beautiful. And and so I think that that's a, a lot of things really work in revenge of the Sith for me. I remember seeing it in theaters and just absolutely loving it and going like this this is the one I like the most. And I even remember, uh, so around that time when that came out, I was a junior in, in high school and I, uh, was in AP chem with someone I'm still friends with to this day, but who's always got to be a contrarian. So he saw X-Men three and, uh, you know, was like whining about it the next day in class and complaining, complaining, complaining. And then he sees Revenge of the Sith, and he's just complaining, complaining, complaining. And one of his complaints was, oh, yeah, you just had Wookiees swinging on vines out of nowhere. And then I went and I saw the movie, and I'm like, yeah, they're swinging on vines that are attached to ships. Like, how do you not catch that? I'm like, that's just such a weird point to, to like, really focus on that you don't like it, uh, like about it. But uh, regardless, for for its flaws, it has a lot of strengths to it. Um what, what was the thing I just saw? Um, there was a meme. I, I, I might have sent this to you uh, where if Anakin were here, he would take care of it. And then it was the the broom kid from Last Jedi and Anakin decapitating him um, because of the younglings and everything uh, that. And that's still a really hard scene to watch, even though you don't see anything. You have these young Padawans who are huddled in um, the council chamber and they look to Anakin and be like, you're our, you know, you're our savior. You're going to help us. You're one of the good guys. And Anakin just lights the lightsaber and you just see the one kid just kind of jump back in shock. 
Um, so yeah. it's as much as people want to say that Empire has a dark ending. Really, I think Revenge of the Sith is is the darkest out of all of the all of the um, the films. So um, that's my thoughts about that one. And for the sequel trilogy, and it's funny because it's a trend for me now. Uh, it's Rise of Skywalker. As much as I agree with you on uh, Force Awakens being a really good starting point, um, you know, introducing us to new characters while still having kind of our original characters uh, having some type of mentor role in there. Um, Rise of Skywalker did what I needed it to do for, at least for fixing some things that I had issues with. Um, and a lot of those issues kind of deriving from Last Jedi. Um, and, and again, that kind of comes from like the lack of foresight of having one writer for all three films. Uh, I think that that's one of the reasons why, even though you might have issues with the prequel trilogy, it still feels like Star Wars. You still see Star Wars while you're watching it, and it has Lucas's vision. And yeah, because uh, he he wrote all three, so they were definitely lacking that in the sequel. Right, and so as much and I I remember J.J. Abrams, and this was a uh, this was around Star Trek 2009 when he when he directed that. Um, people were asking him because they knew he was a big. Uh, uh, Star Wars fan if he would ever make a Star Wars movie and he said no uh, because he knew he could uh, never do justice to it like him as a fan and I would probably have this problem too uh, would ever feel like you could do as good of a job as the creator and um, and that was one of the re- reasons why I think his his Star Trek movies are fine uh, as being someone who he wasn't really a Star Trek fan, so he's bringing a new kind of vision to it. As much as some people might have problems with those three movies, he still honors enough of the original, and, but it does this, they do the story at least in a way that uh, can make it acceptable for older Trek fans. Um, but, you know, I, I have to give him at least some credit for trying to do Star Wars right, Um, I think had he written all three movies, we wouldn't have this kind of issue with Last Jedi um, that a lot of people have. And I think his what he had envisioned for this series to go, uh, I think would have would have played out better, because in all honesty, I still think he intended uh, Ray to actually be a Skywalker. Um, but with Ryan Johnson doing what he did with Last Jedi, that kind of hurt it a little bit. And he had to come around with a way that's OK, but still, when we get to the final scene and she says, Ray Skywalker, you and I both take issue with that. Yeah. Um, he just he had so much he had to try and do and with Rise of Skywalker that, like you said, if he had been able to write all three of them, I don't I don't want to necessarily say that, you know, um, episode eight and nine would have then been that much better because we don't know. But I think it would have had a more cohesive flow. Right. And it probably wouldn't have had he wouldn't have had to correct so much. Right. And um, and because like I I had picked up on it as soon as um, as soon as the I, I for, uh, not when I first saw, it, but when I when I saw uh, Force Awakens the second time. I picked up on the line when um, Ren is trying to um, force interrogate her and he's talking about the the island and the sea. And I'm going, 
she knows where Luke is. How would she know where Luke is? How would she be so strong in the Force? She's obviously Luke's daughter. Um, and I think that that was kind of the intent, uh, especially now that they want to announce a Mara Jade TV series for Disney+. Plus. I'm like, how do you do that and you don't connect her to Luke? Like, that's that's egregious. Like, you had such a good story with them being enemies and then becoming lovers and, and married and having kids. Like, that was such an iconic relationship from the old EU. And now you've, well, you as in Ryan. And I, and I don't hate Ryan Johnson. Uh, as much as a lot of people do, because I know he's a very competent filmmaker. I am a fan of a lot of his other films. Um, Brick is a fantastic film noir homage. Uh, the Brothers um, Bloom is fantastic. Looper is a really good sci-fi um, film. And Knives Out was fantastic. I, I, I really loved fi- uh, Knives Out as a kind of murder mystery film. And so I know he's a very talented filmmaker, but I think this was part of the problem again of not having one cohesive writer on it is he just wanted to do what he wanted to do. And I think, and I know you and I've had this conversation several times had, they said, all right, Ryan, we're putting you in the old Republic, write your trilogy. It Uh would have been fine. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. Uh, He could have done created characters. He could have done whatever he wanted with, and I don't think anyone would have taken any issue whatsoever uh, from him doing his own trilogy set in a different time period. But when he's taking these iconic characters, and I won't say he ruins them, but he damages them, and more yeah. so with Luke. Uh, although you found that YouTube video, um, was it Failure is the Greatest Teacher? Um, that kind of puts it into a better perspective, but you shouldn't have somebody who edits things uh, and creates their own kind of story to make your work look better, you know? Right. Um, that was us band-aiding it and trying to make it better. <laughs> exactly. Cause like there, there's one and it's one of my favorites is, uh, and I won't get the name right. Cause there's two different clips out there and there's one that I like better, but there's one where Obi-Wan gets, uh, has PTSD and it's uh, him talking about Anakin to Luke, and they've intercut it with images from Revenge of the Sith and, and stuff like that. And they did it in such a way that it, it, it doesn't improve A New Hope, but it enhances it. Whereas Failure is the Greatest Teacher uh, improves on what Ryan did with with Last Jedi. Um, I... I oh gosh, there was something I was going to say, because as I was rewatching it, uh, I finished rewatching it this morning, and uh, went right into Rise of Skywalker. There was something that made it a little bit more tolerable for me, and I and I can't think of what it is now for the life of me. But um, I, I just dis, just throwing Snoke out of the way uh, as, as a disposable enemy was was I think really really bad move. Um, although I will say that that fight sequence on Snoke's ship with um, Ray and Ben and the guards is is a really good scene. It is really yeah, that's really cool. Uh, and, and it's visually stunning. And, and I don't even dislike the fight between uh, Ben and Luke, although I probably would have preferred Luke to be there. Um, and, and again, this is another point of contention people don't really like. 
they go, well, hey, it was just a force projection, so why would he die? And I, and I sit there, and I think you and I are in, are in agreement on this, um, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are astral projecting yourself across light years to another planet facing a battle how does that not at, at an advanced age maybe if luke was at the age that he was as return of the jedi and everything he would have been able to survive it but how do you expect someone to be able to survive that strain on their body to to live even though they weren't actually physically harmed right i agree and i think that kind of comes into where it doesn't matter i don't think it would have mattered what anybody at all would have done with luke's storyline it would never live up to the mythos that we built around him in our mind. Right. I, I, I think had they, and, and uh, this is the biggest, I think, missed opportunity uh, of, of the sequel trilogy and in of itself is um, I, I would have preferred we had a, a Jedi Academy that we would have had yet young Jedi in training. I would have been completely fine with, with Ben doing his storyline the way he did but I would have preferred we had seen other Jedi in this, and I would have been fine with other Sith. Um, I think the Knights of Ren were maybe intended to be that way, uh, to be kind of the the Sith version of the Jedi Academy, um, and we would have seen maybe some grand lightsaber battles. But that that was, I think, the biggest problem, and, and an opportunity, at least, of Luke that they could have gotten right. I agree that most things, the mythos of Luke and everything couldn't be fully justified, but we could have at least seen him be, be a master and have students and um, be trying to continue on the line. Wouldn't it have made the sequel trilogy better if we had started at the beginning of Ben and Ray's stories with them as children and Luke is teaching, and then we get to the point where Luke has that moment of, you know, looking at the lightsaber and thinking, should I strike Ben down? And and then us moving forward from there. Yes, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think that, um, see, that's, and again, that's part of the problem. And, and one of my bigger uh, issues with Last Jedi overall is uh, the fact that it takes place immediately after Force Awakens. None of the Star Wars movies, excluding Rogue One, because it's a, a side story, never take place immediately after the other. Uh, I oh, believe, um, so Attack of the Clones is 10 years. Uh, Revenge of the Sith is three years. Um, I think that um, New Hope and Empire are about a year apart, maybe a couple years apart. And then I know Return and uh, Empire are uh, just only like a year or two apart. So there's time for us to fill in some stuff and have some more character development it, it would make maybe people more okay like we open up uh last jedi with uh ray having trained with luke for a year and then having kind of the more refined force abilities and i think that that's where also a lot of people have issues with rise of skywalker with her ability of force healing and stuff like that well she's been training with leia you know this is i i don't know exactly uh, i could look at the the book that has the timeline but it's too far away right now um it, they uh we, we know it's at least probably a year from uh last jedi to uh rise of skywalker so she's been training with leia all this time and, and reading um and someone made a good point about this reading ancient jedi texts that not even the 
Jedi in the old Republic, not not the old Republic, but as of, uh, you know, uh, the prequel trilogy didn't have access to. So it wouldn't necessarily be a wide known ability that like Obi-Wan could have just force healed Qui-Gon or something like that. Right. And it took uh, Qui-Gon having and Qui-Gon would be the maybe the only one that I could see maybe looking into that old knowledge because that's just him as a character having this kind of defiance to go and research these old outdated methods and and um, things that the the council looked down upon and it's why he never was a a master on the council um, why he was all familiar with prophecies that they tried to all discount uh, but there there's this thing about um, you know these ancient texts that makes more sense to me like how she would learn that force ability and having gone through training and I think that that's a missed opportunity in Last Jedi as well as taking place immediately after Force Awakens so we get introduced to Snoke Snoke is immediately killed less than like a week after Force Awakens takes place like right. just, it just doesn't work but um, that's that's kind of my ranking for it. I, I, I don't mind um, the Palpatine coming back. Uh, in fact, I was, as I was rewatching it here before we started recording, even Dominic Monaghan's characters going, oh, Sith techniques, cloning. And uh, I mentioned I to you uh, off recording that I was I'm listening to the Darth Plagueis, uh, although I'm going to consider it canon, non-canon story. Essence transference was a technique that the Sith had that uh, was lost to um, a Sith Lord who turned to the light and then was killed. Um, So it wasn't necessarily easily accessible, but I would believe Palpatine being the character that he is to be the one to rediscover that method. And uh, I think the rise of Skywalker novelization finally kind of explained it that uh he is a clone and that he transferred his essence um and i don't like the idea that his son is a failed clone of himself um that didn't have weird yeah that didn't have any force uh force uh, ability or anything like that you and I kind of, I think, like the idea of, well, he was a politician, so he probably slept around and had an illegitimate <laughs> son. Uh, it, it makes more logical sense that something like that would happen. Um, but I, I, overall, I, I kind of liked how it ended. I would like to see um, Ray, or if we if we come back with another trilogy at some point that deals with Ray later on, or. Uh, that that kind of dives into the future a little bit more. Maybe we get Ray flashbacks. Uh, we do see Ray kind of training a new Jedi Order, and we do have a Jedi Order out there because um, that's really what a lot of people want to see. They want to see lightsabers. They want to see the fights. And it's funny because um, when they were pitching Star Wars um, uh, Jedi Fallen Order, what whatever the most recent game was, I'm, I'm going to get the name wrong, but. Um, the was it Luke? It was Lucasfilm or Kathleen Kennedy said we don't want lightsabers, and uh, Respawn, who developed the game, was like, "You want a Star Wars game without lightsabers?" Yeah, I uh, don't think that's going to work. And there was one that they had planned in development that would have worked, and that was uh, Star Wars thirteen thirteen, which was going to follow Boba uh, on Coruscant. And so you'd be playing as Boba Fett, which that would make sense. 
but most people are going to be playing a Star Wars video game to be wielding a lightsaber. Right. Um, and if I can interrupt here, yeah, absolutely. you know that I have I have not played a video game since Super Mario and the little mm-hmm. square, you know, um, remote controls or whatever. It, it was just never a thing that we had. Yeah. But if I'm going to play a Star Wars um, video game, heck yeah, I want to freaking be a Jedi and I want a lightsaber and I want to chop some arms off. Well, unfortunately, they uh, they they uh, disc they they did not allow decapitations or, or limb dismemberment on people, but you could do it on droids and creatures, um, which is as long as I can of, do it on the droids. Well, it was kind of annoying because uh, I I and I love it uh, Jedi Academy and um, Jedi Knight Two, which are two of my favorite Star Wars uh, games from PC that they've finally ported over to PS4, which. I was playing Jedi Knight 2. It was it doesn't port over too well with controls, but um, you you could you would you would be chopping off heads, you'd be chopping off limbs. And one of the the great things they did with Cal Kestis uh, is um, you could do um, well. You would have a double bladed, or you could have single bladed. But with the double bladed, um, when you're doing a combo, you could have it break apart and do a double slash down on your enemy and then it would connect back together. And that was a really, really cool moment. And also with that was uh, totally customizable. So you could change the hilt, you could change the pommel, you could change the crystal. Um, Cause it's even great uh, during the game, you go to Ilium uh, to uh, get a new Kyber crystal for your lightsaber. And that was a really fun moment to be able to unlock all the different uh, lightsaber crystals. But uh, yeah, I, so I think overall with Rise of Skywalker, I think it, it it didn't it did what it needed to do to fix issues that I had with Last Jedi. Last Jedi in like and I said this when um, Last Jedi came out, even though I, I didn't hate the film, uh, I think you need to remove all of Canto Bite and Rose Tico from the movie and. And not because I dislike the actress Kelly Marie Tran or anything like that, but her character just didn't do anything for me. I, I didn't. Yeah. I, I actually, when I was rewatching it, I would have preferred we followed her sister who was on the bomber um, because there was something about her that like I was more intrigued to know more about her than I was about Rose. Yeah. Right, right. And and as much as anybody might agree that a character is pointless, there's absolutely zero call for anybody to go after an actor personally. Right. You know, or anything like that that happened afterwards was absolutely ridiculous. Right. It wasn't that she was a horrible actress or, or anything like that. It's just like her character just didn't serve any purpose for me. And um, right. And that's not her fault. Right. right absolutely. It was, it was the writing. It, it really was. I And. And Canto Bite and, and DJ, and this was another missed opportunity you and I both have talked about several times. The Master Code Breaker should oh, yeah. have been Lando. Should have been 100%. Lando from the, from the beginning. And I think I even, I think I remember when, uh, when I saw it, because I saw it before you, I came to your desk and I said, here's an anti-spoiler. It's not yeah. Lando. <laughs> And yeah, and you—that's all that—that's all that you said, and I was like, well, okay. And then when we got that part with um, Maz, and she keeps talking, and I'm like, oh, oh, it's not going to be him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like because that was, uh, it was just a missed opportunity because DJ doesn't. If DJ maybe came back and Rise of Skywalker and, and played other, some other important role to the to the story, he doesn't play any any role of importance other than to kind of do a, uh, a a narrative about well 
you know, these people sell money, uh, sell weapons to the bad guys, but they also sell weapons to the good guys too. And it's like, okay, we get it. And, you know, there's moral to, um, moral relativism in star Wars. That's understandable. I mean, Han wasn't always a good guy. Um, so that, that's like the only purpose that he serves. And, uh, yeah, I think if it had been Lando there, cause you could follow the format of the original trilogy. Lando doesn't get introduced until, uh, Empire doesn't have a huge role in it, but has a bigger role in Return. Just introduce Lando here, you know, have him play a small role and then have him play the bigger role because it, it feels, uh, even though I love his appearance in Rise of Skywalker, it feels a little sh- shorted um, that he doesn't get the the uh, justice that he needed on, on screen. Uh, well, it feels desperate, honestly, to me at that point. I think they were desperately trying to do um, like uh, fan service. Yeah. You know, since they really weren't going to have Mark Hamill back as far as, as what he was in the movie, you know, and then of course, Carrie Fisher had passed away and, and Harrison Ford didn't want to come back. They were like, who else can we get? Oh my God. So, you know, they went with him. Well, I, and I, and I think that's also one of the things that I appreciate this film uh, a lot more for is with having such limited, uh, ability to use Carrie as they did, I think they did a wonderful job with it. Um, I agree with that. I mean, I, I, I nothing ever feels fake or um, forced or worked around or anything. It, I mean, even though you can tell that the one scene is from Force Awakens and that's the hug scene, so that's the only scene that I can sit there and go, okay, I know that's from Force Awakens. Um, all of it feels like as if she was actually there. And, and even my dad um, commented on it because we saw it together in theaters. He was like, you would have thought she was there filming those scenes. And and I had only expected her to have maybe a couple minutes on screen and then she would have died. Uh, just they would have done something in the story to work in her death. And I mean, obviously it goes that way. But for her to be in about half of the film now, granted, she's not fully in it for half of the film but to have moments throughout the first half of the film i think really uh is a good job and i think is also very respectful of her because it was obviously intended that they were going to really focus on her and ray and unfortunately due to her passing they had to do what they could and i think that they did the best that they could um so with all of that, so that's our kind of rankings of that. Um, I want to go back to the kind of the Revenge of the Sith thing. And uh, if you guys are not caught up with the most recent, not the finale episode, which will be uh, airing the same day as this podcast episode, but with the uh, episode before that, I think that's episode 11 of season seven of Clone Wars. Um, go ahead and, and stop listening and watch it come back to the podcast and finish us off here um, because we're going to talk a little bit about what happens in episode 11, maybe a little bit about episode 10 as well. Uh, And uh, we don't want to spoil those moments for you. So if you want to stop here and then come back later, feel free to, if you don't mind being spoiled. All right. Well, dig in. (laughs) You were warned. (laughs) And we're, we're not going to do a full review of this season until after we've watched the finale because we don't still don't know how this all ends. But um, we wanted to kind of talk about some things from from this. And I love how this runs up right in connection with Revenge of the Sith. Oh, yeah, it's great. Um, I 
I was watching the episode, this would be episode 11, and when she's on the bridge of the Star Destroyer and it's just got the foreboding music, I'm like, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. And uh, I really love that as uh, Mace and Anakin and Palpatine are having their sequence, we're hearing her sense that through the Force, and they're actually using the dialogue from the film. Oh, yeah, I was like, it's Hayden. That's yeah. Hayden's voice. <laughs> <laughs> it, and, uh, and we could hear, obviously, uh, you know, Palpatine. And I, I think even, of course, it, whether they reuse the uh, the soundbite of Execute Order 66 or not, I think Ian McDiarmid did his voice, because I know he did it for Rebels. Um, for the two or three episodes he, he appeared in Rebels, uh, he came back and did his voice. And that uh, that sense of foreboding... And and having Ahsoka on this ship full of clones and how mm-hmm. she's going to get out of it is just, oh, <laughs> it's, it just captures you. Um, what, what, what thoughts do you have on, on this? Oh, my gosh. I these last few episodes, 9, 10, and 11 and hopefully 12 have been the best Clone Wars, I think they have ever made. I agree. I have absolutely loved all of them. And as you know, like out of all of Star Wars, Clone Wars is my favorite. And then, of course, out of all of Star Wars, Ahsoka is my favorite character. And the focus being on her and Rex these last few episodes, I I absolutely love it. I'm like glued to the television. I'm staring at it. I'm like, I don't care what time it is. I don't care if my (laughs) lunch breaks over. I'm watching this whole episode until it's until it's over but i actually saw some um a review where somebody was complaining about the foreboding music at the beginning of episode 11 i guess they were expecting people to have not seen episode three you know um revenge of the sith and not know what was going to happen and i'm like i think pretty much everybody and their brother knows what's going to happen right and that's why we have the foreboding music and i loved the creepy of that music and seeing Maul in that, um, I don't know what you call that I, I can't think of the word, that prison though that they had him in. It's like a pre-carbonite thing, because like uh, it's almost like yeah. where I think they get the idea for, obviously for Mandalorian and um, for Empire, is because it's kind of it's got kind of the same controls on the side and I mean he's just completely locked in it kind of like Hannibal Lecter yeah, but just seeing his eyes through that um, that hole there, and then his breath fogging the glass. Yeah, and and then of course when his eyes open, when when we're just like just before we get that scene with Ahsoka on the bridge, and I'm like, oh, it's all going down now. It's happening. It's happening right now. Well, and and one of the also, and I and I've seen a couple articles written on this is um, this also adds that kind of sense of like maybe we can prevent this. Um, because we're seeing um, the kind of the, the hollow message of them talking about what they're going to have to do if Palpatine won't uh, give up his power. And Ahsoka's there, and she's wanting to warn them about what Maul said about Anakin. And Mace is like, this is Jedi's only. you like, get out of here, citizen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, it, and it also puts Mace in more of this light, because like, I've, always, I've always felt this about Mace as much as I've liked the character but Mace is the one who's mainly responsible for the fall of the Jedi because he never trusted Skywalker. 
he never would listen to him and, and he'd always be dismissive. And he had this kind of self-righteousness um, to kind of compare with his character from Pulp Fiction. You know, he, he was doing everything right in his mind. But in reality, he was playing to Palpatine's plan all along. And um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Palpatine had kind of orchestrated it that way, that he allowed for that mistrust to develop in in um, Mace against Skywalker so that when a moment should happen that it's all revealed of who he is, uh, Mace wouldn't necessarily trust Anakin to do the right thing. Um, yeah, and I think Mace is kind of the embodiment, like the that character that he's playing there is the embodiment for us of kind of what's happened to the Jedi over these last centuries of yeah. kind of how how they're more political and more involved in that way. I guess even if you want to kind of compare it to, they're not at their spiritual roots that they started as as Jedi, and they've come, you know, like even Qui Gon Jinn believing more in the prophecies versus, you know, this is the procedure that we have to follow with the council and things like that. He's kind of the epitome of it. That That's a really good way to point it because uh, the, the Master and Apprentice book is kind of what explores that more about, about Qui-Gon. And uh, I, I think you're actually really spot on with that analysis because, you know, they, they, I believe it's been said and and some of the prequel movies and stuff like they're not politicians, they're not soldiers and stuff, but the one person who always kind of seems to take on the political stance and the uh, general, you know, I am a commander of these troops is Mace, um, where he'd rather it be a show of force versus a show of compassion. And um, cause like there was, Anakin's right, like, because you almost look at, at Revenge of the Sith in the sense of he knew it was wrong to kill Dooku after he killed Dooku. So now here he is in a similar situation. It's been revealed that Palpatine is Sidious and and uh, Mace is about to do the exact same thing. Just execute him on the spot. Jedi Supreme Authority. And um, Anakin's saying, no, he has to stand trial. He doesn't want to make the same mistake with Palpatine that he made with Dooku. Now, yeah, he has the ulterior motives of Palpatine saying, I will save Padme's life and everything like that. But he is still trying to do the right thing before ultimately turning and and attacking Mace. Um, And we also kind of see uh, this explained more that like we're we're, we're looking at the perspective from uh, from Anakin saying like, from what I see, the, the Jedi are the enemy and everything. He's not wrong because they've betrayed their code. They've betrayed their standards uh, through Mace. And it kind of leans to this now perspective of Anakin's fall to the dark side wasn't necessarily his own fault. Like it isn't, although it is his own hubris and his own, um, not vanity, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh Oh, shoot. Um, His own responsibility, for lack of a better term, it is because of situations that played out. Now, again, I think Palpatine probably orchestrated it that way so that he knew the outcome would eventually end with Anakin joining the dark side and kind of bringing the galaxy under his hold. But uh, it is a very interesting way now to look at Revenge of the Sith when you have this now added perspective of Ahsoka uh, who is 
removed from the Jedi, had her own issues with the Jedi, still tries to help the Jedi, and then is dismissed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's like a cold snap, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, I love that Yoda still called her Padawan before he signed off. Yes. Because, well, and that's that's the one thing, like, Yoda still um, embodies that original message of the Jedi, uh, no matter what. Like, even though he he may be ineffectual at some points for the prequels and stuff like that, but, like, he, I don't think he ever betrayed his own code. Whereas with Mace, like, Mace is more jaded, probably leaning more towards the dark side than the light side, in all honesty. Um, because of how he was so easily manipulated and he allows his own, like, you know, the whole thing, like fear and anger and all that leading to the dark side. But that's exactly what he allows to cloud his own judgment. Um, one thing I do also want to talk about is we love that um, Ray Park came back for mocap for uh, the duel with uh, Ahsoka on Mandalore and how... Yes. That is just one of the best lightsaber battles, live action or animated, that we have ever seen. Absolutely. And I looked up her name. It was um, Lauren Mary Kim did the mocap for Ahsoka. And okay. she also did the stunt doubling for the armorer and the Mandalorian. Okay. So That's we cool. need to give a shout out to her as well. Absolutely. She was fantastic. In, in both roles. Because, I mean, the, the armorer stuff, like, she was fantastic when she has her fight sequence in the Mandalorian. Um, but, but yeah, yeah I, I messaged you after I watched that and I was like, I'm stunned. I'm stunned. It was the most fantastic Star Wars lightsaber duel I have ever seen. It really has. And that's where, like, when we see these kind of criticisms where people just want the basic um, swinging a bat, you know, at, at another person from the original, you know, series and everything, the original trilogy. Uh, I love the idea of fighting stances and fighting techniques and uh, different lightsaber um, makes, like the the curved for uh, Ventress and curved for Dooku, uh, Ahsoka's kind of Shoto blade, which is more like a dagger. Um, like, it, it makes sense that they would actually have some type of fighting technique and fighting style, and it was beautiful to see it, especially because uh, I don't know if they ever really did the mo like did real motion capture for uh, the prior seasons of Clone Wars when it was on Cartoon Network and everything, but it worked so well and so beautifully. And I love that they brought Ray back because, you know, Ray is Darth Maul. He may not be the voice of Maul, but he is Darth Maul and his and he's always been a great stunt coordinator. Um, I mean, I love him in um, G.I. Joe as well because he, he plays, uh, I believe, Snake Eyes in that. Uh, so it's a character who doesn't speak and has a mask on the entire time. Uh, he is so good in, in doing his fight choreography that it, it is great to have him come back, still do Maul. And uh, I hope we can see more live action versions of him doing Maul, um, whether it be in kind of a, a, a Disney Plus show, kind of focusing on maybe his upbringing or what happens after Solo. But it is one of the most beautiful moments. I think I watched it before you, and I was, like, telling telling you, like, watch it now. Watch it now. <laughs> it, was, it was so good, and it was just – it ended perfectly. And also just the details that he – that Maul gives and, and Ahsoka kind of coming to terms and going, you know, 
realizing that something has been orchestrated and that they have been betrayed and still trying to do the right thing about it, but facing a block is uh, what makes kind of the downfall of the Jedi more um, heartbreaking. And I know you and I both hope that we see more of Order 66, at least in like the opening of the next episode. You don't have to spend a whole lot of time with it, but maybe if we can see a young Caleb Doom, you know, because I think he showed up in like a hollow image at one point uh, in the season. But like if we could see him and, and his master, uh, Depa, uh, maybe even revisit Plo and, and Kai and uh, some of the other masters just to kind of show us more of an all encompassing uh, view of Order 66. Yeah, so I would disagree with you just slightly, and I would say I want to see the ones that we didn't see in Revenge of the Sith. I want to see everybody else. Well, I mean, we haven't seen... I, I, other than comic book, we haven't seen um, Kanan's version of it, so... I, we, yeah, like, yeah. I'd, I'd want to see that, you know, and some of the other masters, but I don't necessarily want to go back to, to Plo or Isla, or, because we already watched them die. I want to watch different ones die this time. True. <laughs> Um, also, one thing I, I, did, I did want to bring up, too, is uh, before the Siege of Mandalore, when uh, she's kind of been meeting with Obi-Wan and Anakin and they're getting ready to leave for the Battle of Coruscant, and they say Shakti was with Palpatine, and that uh, making canon now um, her death on um, Grievous's ship, you know, because that was a yeah. deleted scene. Uh, I, I can't remember if it's still in the novelization or not, uh, but I know it is a deleted scene. And there was only one, and I think it's because the game came out before Revenge of the Sith came out, but I believe in Forced Unleashed, um, Shock T was one of, maybe not, I, I can't remember. I thought she was one of the, well, she was. It would have been after Revenge of the Sith came out because it, it takes place after Revenge of the Sith. But since Shock T was never shown and in the, in the movie, having been killed, they used her as one of the Jedi you hunt down as a star killer, so... Um. Uh, well, jumping back to that, um, people not liking the choreography of the duels and things. Mm -hmm. And, and like we were talking, I think yesterday or I don't know, the days are all running together now, <laughs> but, uh, it doesn't make sense to me why you would only want to have choreographed fights that are, like you said, kind of like just the bat on bat or like you have a regular sword. I'm like, where's the imagination? Right. You have a lightsaber. It's it's has like 360 degree perfect sphere of burning that you can do at any angle you hit something with. Like I like you said, I think they would have developed techniques and things that would be different fighting styles and stances to use this and to uniquely fight that way instead of just like here's here's my bat, here's your bat, and let's just like hit each other. Well, and and not only that, like if you if you look back to like kind of knights and stuff like. Uh, swords maybe you had to do that but even like you have fencing which is a, a, a fighting technique and a fighting style but swords like actual metal swords have a weight to them that might make it more difficult to do kind of any fancy sword fighting where you have to just kind of go side by side uh and see it you know how things turn out but if you have to think about a lightsaber all you're really holding that has weight is the hilt like the you're not going to feel the blade uh, the blade's just pure light. It's not. It's not anything that's going to have extreme weight to it that would make it extremely difficult to swing around. Um, so, and, and the chore choreogra uh, choreographed fights just add another element to them. Because, like, I mean, even if you go back and look at, uh, you know, the the original trilogy, and we don't have any of those grandiose lightsaber duels. Well, 
Obi-Wan's old at this point. He doesn't really have the strength he had when he was younger. So he really can't do the fancy fighting styles he did when in like the Clone Wars and everything. Uh, Luke is never really trained by any Jedi except Yoda, who Yoda can't wield a lightsaber at this point. It doesn't even have a lightsaber at, at the point of Empire, who can really train him on any fighting techniques and fighting styles. So he only learns kind of on the fly. But by the time we see him in Last Jedi, he knows at least some technique to uh, go head to head with Kylo. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't understand this idea of, of why you would want him just bat back and forth, bat back and forth. It, it just it it takes out a, a really cool visual element uh, yeah. for the audience to experience. And again, the audience is wanting to see lightsabers like they want to see these these pieces and and like as much as i might have issues with attack of the clones being a love story one of the best things about it is when all the jedi start showing up at the coliseum and they're all lighting their sabers up and you have a great fight between them and the battle droids and then you have the dooku obi-wan anakin yoda fight at the end of that it's like it 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 looks so much more and it has an elegance to it and it also shows kind of how structured and organized that the Jedi order was. And, uh, you know, it just, I, I, it's a criticism I don't understand and I don't think I will ever understand. And I, but I also think it's a criticism that might be on the minority perspective. I Uh, certainly hope so. And I would assume that it's possibly fans that grew up with the original trilogy, like, you know, saw it in the theaters and, and everything. It's the same ones um, that have kind of an issue with the special editions and only want the original theatrical releases released again. Uh, I, I take this kind of unique perspective on on that. Uh, I always have. Whether you like the changes or not, except for McClunky, which I it made it into this 4K home release too. I don't know why Disney added McClunky in there when Greedo's ready to shoot Han, but... Um, other than the Han shooting first change uh, in the special editions, everything that he added was to kind of maybe enhance, not improve, but enhance his his vision. There were uh, you know better computer, although they a lot of the CGI that was used in the in the special editions isn't quite holding up as well. Um, he wanted to add more elements to it to kind of flesh out the world a little bit more. And as much as people want to complain about the special editions. I don't have an issue that he's made these changes because this is his baby. This is his vision. So he has every right. Like again, as a, as a fan, we only have a minority ownership over these franchises and these products. Um, I don't think that means like, like Disney needs to come in and just do whatever the heck they want without any type of respect for the fans. But when it's Lucas and it's Lucas's vision and going, I wanted to do this here, but I couldn't in 1977 or whenever uh, uh, New Hope came out. Um, But I couldn't because of the constraints of technology at the time. Here I am 20 years later wanting to, okay, I'm going to add this effect here. I can finally put Jabba in as a big giant slug instead of a human. Uh, Have a really bad edit of Han stepping over his tail, but okay like add a couple scenes with both yeah. that in there and stuff like that like that's he didn't do anything that drastically other than han shooting first it's the only point i will concede 
Um, he never did anything that drastically changed the story. His story was still held intact. Now, it'd be one thing if they go and, oh, change Darth Vader saying, Luke, I'm your father or whatever. I No, I am your father, whatever the actual line is. Um, that would be different. Like if all of a sudden Darth Vader is not Anakin or Luke's father. Yeah, that's an issue. That's a problem. But nothing changed the story. So um, that kind of leads in. I guess this will be our final point because this has gone on pretty, pretty long right now. <laughs> um the stance of this kind of divide in the fandom and fan, uh, you know, between people who consider themselves true Star Wars fans and those who consider themselves just Star Wars fans and and people all in between. I know you and I have kind of followed a little bit on on YouTube some creators that uh, you know have started their fandom menace thing, and some points I do have to agree with them on, but overall it's like. When I come down to it, and I, I addressed this back when we did our Rise of Skywalker review, um, the, there is no such thing, I think, as, uh, as a true Star Wars fan. Or if there is, it is someone who can take the good with the bad. Uh, or in this case, maybe the bad with the good. Yeah, I don't think you can, you can say, well, I grew up with the originals, and just because you grew up with the prequels because you were five years old when they came out, you're not a real fan. Like, how can you say that to somebody? Exactly. And, and as much as, like, the sequel trilogy might have issues, it has problems, I can concede that. I think it was a missed opportunity. It's still Star Wars. Like, it is, it is still telling that story, and... and okay, are you going to discount everything that Disney did? Because we got Rogue One. Yes, also we got Solo. But we're now getting The Mandalorian. We have a great season of Clone Wars minus four episodes. Um, we <laughs> we have some books that are doing really good, and we have some books that aren't as good. We have great audio books that they at least put the effort in of doing visual, or not visual effects, but sound effects for, for lightsabers and space battles. Uh, we have video games that they are putting out that are actually pretty good and enhancing the story and doing their best. Uh, although, like I, I said to you the other day, because uh, with this episode of, of uh, Clone Wars kind of retcons the Ahsoka book and with what was said with Rebels, it wouldn't be Star Wars without some inconsistencies. Because um, we've got inconsistencies between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy, and we've got, eh, we don't really have that many inconsistencies because the sequel trilogy was written on the fly. Um, but, but you also get, um, like, uh, galaxy's edge and you get like a theme park to actually go to. Right. Regardless on whether or not it's, it's really good or not. Uh, I, I do agree that Kathleen Kennedy was wrong in saying that it shouldn't be Tatooine. Um, cause that was their original plan. It, it I, I, uh, I watched some YouTubers who don't like talk about Star Wars, but they live near Disney in, in Florida, and they talked about doing the uh, the Smuggler's Run ride or whatever it's called on the Millennium Falcon, and they really enjoyed it, and they really had a good time, and they liked Galaxy's Edge, but then you have another YouTube channel who only focuses on negative stuff when it comes to Star Wars who goes there and is like immediately just going, ah, this isn't really cool, but then you see all these kids and people having fun, it's like, okay, I get you being a little jaded, but at the same time, and this is, again, kind of coming to the point of also this podcast of being a critic versus a cynic, is a lot of critics now, or 
critics nowadays are jaded and uh, and they can't enjoy the love of film and find enjoyment in any film. They just got to immediately tear on it and, and have issues with it instead of praising it for what it does right and criticizing it for what it does wrong. Instead, they'll label on a, a 40% Rotten Tomato score and therefore telling people, don't see this movie because it's quote-unquote rotten. Um, people can still find enjoyment in these things. And although there are problems with all of the Star Wars films, and that includes the original trilogy, there are issues. But I can still enjoy them for what they are and for what they do. Uh, doesn't mean I have to like everything about them doesn't mean I have to uh, dislike everything about them. It is Star Wars, and Star Wars means so much more to me than what uh, a person can do to try to ruin it, for not necessarily ruin it, but to, to create problems with it or to try to say, no, these are only true Star Wars fans, and these aren't true Star Wars fans. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think anybody has the right to be able to divide us that way, you know, as, as far as a fandom to be able to say, well, oh, because you agree with my opinion and we hate this. We're the only true fans and all of these other people just don't know what they're talking about. It's it's the same thing that can be said with anything. If we were all the same, you know, how boring life would be. Right. Well, it's it's like the, the saying uh, opinions are, are like assholes. Everyone's got one. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's that same thing. Like I, I, it, it happens with Star Trek with what we've seen with, with, uh, Star Trek on, on CBS all access where people were saying, well, if you like Picard, then you're, you're hating next generation or something like that. Or you're just a normie who watches, who's only watching it. Who's never watched every single episode of next generation or the original series or watched the films multiple times. It's like, no, yeah, I got issues with discovery, but I, I, I can I can I can criticize Discovery when it's wrong and I can get uh, praise it for what it gets right. We certainly criticized Picard when we had issues on Picard, but we also talked about what we enjoyed about Picard and what it was able to do with coming back to a, a franchise after 20, 30 years. And, and that's a lot with how Star Wars is. And, uh, you know, they're coming back to a, a very popular franchise uh, well, not so much, but maybe 30, 30, year, 30, 40 years removed from the original trilogy, not so much from the prequels uh, uh -huh. and, and trying to do something new with it and to continue that story on. If anything, we should be grateful that we're getting more Star Wars, you know, that we're seeing more Star Wars, uh, that we're exploring different avenues, because if we don't, we don't get the Mandalorian. We don't get Clone Wars season seven. We don't get a potential sequel to, to Rebels. We don't get these type of things. Uh, we don't get John Favreau and Dave Filoni, who are, I think, a, a power team who really do need to be in charge of overseeing future Star Wars projects. Because those, if you want to talk about like, true Star Wars fans, those two might be true Star Wars fans. Because um, Dave has such a, a love for the lore and, and, and the stories and the characters. Uh, although we get maybe four crappy episodes out of a 12, 12 episode run. It, there's still nothing egregious in it, but we can, we get this great companion piece now to revenge of the Sith that we never had before. And we could only fill in through our own imagination and we wouldn't get something that takes place right after return of the Jedi following a character that we unanimously, unanimously love 
not to mention you don't get all the baby Yoda memes. Um, so <laughs> I, 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 I don't like this idea that there are people out there who just want to, it's, it's like the Joker, uh, from dark Knight. They just want to see the world burn. Like they can't find any enjoy, not that they can't find any enjoyment, but they, they find more enjoyment trying to tear it down. Yeah. And, And they will, and they take more enjoyment from trying to tear it down because it doesn't fit their idealized image of what star Wars is in their mind. Um, and so therefore they've got to try to ruin it for other people. I'd love to see some of these YouTubers who say these things uh, about other people who are enjoying the franchise, say it to me and then have a discussion with me about it. Um, I, I would love to kind of debate someone who is on that side and yeah, I'm going to concede a lot of points with them, but at the same time, I'm, I'm going to be able to defend myself. I think fairly well, if this podcast episode uh, hasn't been able to prove prove it to some extent but uh do you have any final thoughts after that rant from myself (laughs) um wrapping up thoughts uh i don't know um happy may the fourth to everyone (laughs) and i hope that the clone wars uh episode that drops today the day that you're listening to this will be just as amazing as the past three i i have a feeling i have a feeling it will um i i don't think I think that that's probably what Dave has put his most effort in as much as like you and I both like the bad batch sequence uh, of episodes. We both didn't really care for uh, Ahsoka's interim episodes. Uh, but I think he's really put all of his time, energy and focus into the, these final four episodes uh, to give us an amazing conclusion to Clone Wars and yeah, that's all I really have to say. Ha- uh, happy May the 4th uh, f- to everyone. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I know this is a, a long one. I kind of figured it would be because I know you and I have a lot to say about Star Wars. Um, <laughs> so if you aren't following us on um, Facebook or Twitter, you can follow us on Facebook at Critics Not Cynics Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Critics NT Cynics. Um, be sure to follow the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, uh, Spotify, um, CastBox, wherever you can get your, your podcast, except for SoundCloud. That's the only one we're not on. Uh, be sure to leave us a rating and review. We're still doing uh, a, a Joker giveaway. We just need to get three more reviews on iTunes uh, to get to the magic number that I wanted to do that giveaway for. But uh, we hope you all have a great fourth and... If you do, uh, I, a lot of people I know do now Revenge of the Fifth, uh, or Revenge of the Sixth, rather. Uh, we hope you all enjoy whichever one you celebrate. We'll see you guys next time.